You're listening to Meanwhile, episode 11. Today we'll be talking about authenticity. In particular, we'll be answering a listener's question about, should I be the same person with my colleagues that I am with my direct reports, that I am in my day-to-day personal life, and how do I show up in each of those situations to both be successful but feel like myself? It's a great question, one we all grapple with in different ways, and we're excited to riff on it with you all today. Let's get started. Michael, I hear we're starting with some fan mail today. Uh, We are. We have an actual fan email. A fan writes, It would be helpful to hear you all talk about authenticity in the workplace. There are lots of ideas of what a manager is supposed to act like or look like. I struggle with those ideas and just being myself. So we're going to talk about authenticity today. Uh, What it is, uh, should we be authentic, how do we do it, etc. Michael, what are your thoughts? This topic's near and dear to my heart, especially because as I started in my career as a coach, uh, this question came up for me a lot in my coaching role because as you know, I was just out of undergrad as I started to try working with people in a coaching way. And you know, most and you were people, also an engineering major. And I was an engineering <laughs> major. Right. I had two strikes. Right. I'm 23. Uh, I studied engineering, and I want to try out this coaching thing pretty much fresh out of college. For the benefit of our listeners, I just want to share that in the coaching industry, that is quite young. Um, Most people would start this career at least um, 15 years further down the line than Michael did, if not more. Exactly. And so that's the precise source of my anxiety and fear around just how authentic should I be um, as I was getting started. You know, do I let my client know that I'm 23? Do I, in the teaching work I'm doing at the Stanford Business School, let my MBA students know that I'm five years younger than them on average? And this kind of this fear of being either found out for being young or having less experience than they might think I do or uh, judging me differently by knowing more about me, which is boils down exactly to, okay, just how authentic and open should I be about this? And maybe one way of, of talking about inauthenticity is that there's an aspect of trying to control the narrative. Um, totally. That like the default narrative might not serve me, so I have to kind of create this alternative narrative that's somehow going to work. It's going to work better for me. And I hear that in the question that you read at the very beginning, right? Do, how do I control the narrative of who I should be and how I should be seen as a manager of my team? Right. And then, and then within that, there's a decision about, do I let out the real me? Do I express things that are part of me fully? And also, do I try to be somebody I'm not, which is a little bit different? Right. Right. But essentially, it all comes down to... How truthful can I really be in in the workplace? So how do you tend to think about this? Well, um, this is a a rich topic because, number one, what's life like if you aren't authentic? It's not fun to walk around feeling that you're fake or kind of closeted, that you're not really upfront. Although I think some people are find that more difficult than others. Yeah. Number two... But what do you do if people don't react well to your version of authenticity? What if they don't like it? What if it's seen as different from what is valued? 
there. Yeah. And I think that this can show up in a lot of areas. It can be personal style. It can be type of personality, other things like um, demographic background, race, ethnicity, gender, heights, it's education level, et cetera, can all sort of show up as, as being perceived barriers to be authentic. Totally. Um, I think, I think skills, competency, experience, yeah, uh, you know, intelligence, these are things that we all make choices on these things around. And the way, as you listed one and two there, the one way to frame this is there's this fundamental tension between the discomfort that I might feel by showing up more either in, actively inauthentically or at least holding back a lot of my authentic self and that being uncomfortable and painful in some ways. And that, that on one side and on the other side, the potential pain and discomfort we experience when we do let more of ourselves be seen uh, or show more of ourselves and that not going well the way we anticipated. And so there's yeah. fear, potential pain on both sides and navigating that tension is uh, one way to frame this dilemma of just how authentic should I be in life, in a work setting, and so on. Right. And then there's a kind of third thing, which is, do we really believe in this? Because what if we think that some people's authenticity sucks? <laughs> like they show me your true self if I like it. Otherwise, well, keep it away. Harkening back a couple of podcast episodes ago, we talked about uh, this model called radical candor and how there was one box that was basically the obnoxious box where you're just sort of laying into people and telling them what you think. Right. And I think that, um, yeah, and then a lot of people say, I'm just being authentic. That's just me. I'm just, uh, I'm a straight <laughs> right. shooter. I'm telling you how it is. And you're like, well, you're really a jerk and you might be calling that authenticity, but I, I don't really like it and I don't think it's helpful in the workplace. So maybe there's even some question about whether this is, is real. But the fact is, is authenticity is a big talked about thing nowadays. So just Google the phrase authentic leadership and you'll come up with any number of books, blog pieces, two by two matrices with little trademark symbols around it. Um, it's very much considered a, a, a relevant contemporary topic in leadership. And many leadership curricula have start out with a unit on authentic leadership. So what is that? So yeah. I think the way we we dig into this is to look at two integrated but really quite different things. The first one is self-knowledge, and the second is um, impact and effectiveness in the workplace. We often start out by thinking about how is this going to fly in the workplace, but I actually want to spend uh, time discussing the first part, self-knowledge. When I think about authenticity, it means actually knowing who you are and what makes you you and what makes you the best version of you. And that's a very coachy type of concept, but our, our belief is usually that if you are able to bring out your fullest self, that that will be beneficial. And if you try to be somebody you're not or dishonor a lot of your core um, interests and values, it's not going to be good. But yeah. the thing is, is that it's not always clear to people who their real self is because we're all socially conditioned and we might think that the person we're supposed to be is who we really are as opposed to finding a way to figure out who, who am I really? Yeah. And so that's a big gnarly question. And so let's talk a little bit about how folks can actually go about answering that a little bit and, and figuring out who am I really, as opposed to who should I be or whatever else. Uh, what, what sort of work do you do on that for yourself, Michael? Well, one one thing you can do is to dig into your values. Um, these are those things that make you you, that make you thrive, that um, 
set up the kind of life that you want. And we talked about that in a previous episode. So yep. your personal values might be things like autonomy, um, financial security, creativity, or it might be being part of a team, having time for family, creative collaboration, what have you. But we can all dig into a list of what our core values really are. And usually the authentic version of us will be a reflection of those values. Um, And when I've done this kind of exercise, I'm never really surprised by the values, but what I tend to be surprised by is how much I want more of a certain type of value and and how how doing that will allow kind of greater space. So one value I have is creativity and another is collaboration. If you put them together, it's kind of amazing. And that's actually one reason why we're doing this podcast. Meanwhile. (laughs) Meanwhile, and I love it. And it adds so much to my life. And yet for years and years, I live without this kind of thing. So that's, that's one. And, and, you know, by being a creatively collaborative person, I'm going to be more effective in the workplace and a better leader. And I develop things I can contribute to my clients and my colleagues and so forth. Yeah. When I think about doing work on really understanding myself, in addition to looking at things like values is sort of in this, you can go back to our episode on powerful questions about this, trying to come up with some really compelling questions that start with what and how that sort of get at some of my core behaviors. Like um, if at the end of my life, I've lived it the way I most wanted, what would I hope people say about me? Mm-hmm. Or uh, who are two people I really remi- admire and what do I really admire about them? And so doing these big picture reflections and I think periodically taking time to sit back and and really contemplate and think, spend thinking quiet time about uh, who am I, who do I want to be in the world, and then actually writing that down somewhere, storing that somewhere. So I have some sort of compass when somebody says to me, hey, are you leading authentically or are you being authentic? I have something I can go look at and at least have um, a decently calibrated tool to check in with. Yes, and to footnote another episode, you talked earlier about purpose and creating purpose statements. So purpose statements totally. are homes for your authentic self and they're ways to re- return to, to that self when you're in doubt. Um, another interesting way to figure out what makes you authentic is actually to ask other people. Now, this is a little bit ironic since we're talking about self-knowledge, but others can um, see things in us that we don't see so easily. Uh, so I've done different types of, of 360 assessments on myself in the past. Some were formal and others were just asking people a bunch of questions about me. Yeah, And I'll tell you their assessment of my strengths was kind of interesting and their assessment of my weaknesses was also kind of interesting. Um, so when I asked people what my strengths were, uh, the thing that often came out, what, what's your guess? <laughs> What's your guess about my most wonderful strength? <laughs> You're about to reveal. And it's now hard you to want... pick one. When people answered what are Michael Melcher's strengths. Hmm. I would say your your biggest strengths to me are uh, relational. You have like this ability to connect with people, make them feel comfortable. Okay, uh, I'm going to stop insight. you right there. <laughs> I Am thought I so too. No, I thought so too. But you know what really struck out to people uh, that I didn't think about was my sense of humor. Huh. Um, people really like that. Yeah. And they saw it and I kind of knew that I had that, but I didn't actually think about it as a strength. And I didn't really think about how can I bring it out more um, Uh into my work, Um, but now I do. And then the area for improvement, interestingly, was emotional Uh self-regulation. It turns out that my colleagues can sometimes perceive me as moody, as do my family members. Uh I don't really see myself that way. 
but it turns out that maybe maybe I am. And learning how to bring out the the positives and know when I'm in kind of a moody state so that I don't express the negatives. That's also part of my um, authentic self or my authentic um, work style or leadership style. So I think well, that's that's a, a really interesting way. Like, don't underestimate the value of soliciting feedback from other people because they might really helpfully see you in a way that is somewhat different from how you see yourself. Yeah, totally. I I think they can help us illuminate our blind spots. And in fact, it reminds me of this model we talk about at Stanford, and we've referenced it in another podcast called the Johari Window. And in one sense, it's this model that talks about how we can be or what authenticity looks like and the benefits that come from that in an interpersonal relationship. And one of the things the Johari Window talks about is that feedback from other people can actually help us grow our sense of understanding ourselves. And not only do we learn that, but as we have that conversation with another person, it's it's a mutual understanding of of me and who I am. And it actually grows us closer through sharing that authenticity with one another. Agreed. Uh, by the way, do you know how the Johari window got its name? Well, I believe it was two psychologists, one named Joe, one named Harry. That's true. You got it. Ding, ding, <laughs> ding, you win. They were feeling Latin one day and went Johari. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so feedback, good. And then there's a third way that you can get to authenticity. And that's where we take a look at some of the stories we're telling ourselves, the assumptions we have, the fears we have, and really inquire, okay, what is a story and how true is it? Are there different stories I can be telling? And I have untold numbers of examples of this, but I'll start just with one. So as a child, I had a lisp, a speech impediment. Mm. I had what's called a lateral lisp, and the definition is a lateral lisp is a speech error where the airstream for the S sound that is normally directed to the center of the oral cavity over the midline of the tongue is instead thrust down laterally around the sides of the tongue. Having that memorized? No, I just looked it up. (laughs) Wow, really ingrained. Got it. Yeah. um, There are four different kinds of lisps. This is one one of them. Okay. All right. And uh, from a early age, I went to speech therapy once a week. I was very frustrated. I knew I didn't make my S's, Z's, and CH's correctly. I was made fun of. Uh, it was more than once told me to speak, don't spit, Michael Melcher. Oh, and geez. it's deeply traumatizing. And every yeah. other person who's had a lisp is deeply traumatized and we, we never get over it. And, you know, I, I went through years and years of, of speech therapy which isn't really that intense. It's more like playing little games with a therapist in a special room, but it didn't seem... speech? (laughs) Sort of like that. It didn't have that much of an impact, although gradually things got a little bit better. I felt more socially accepted. Um, I got into singing. That seemed to improve things. And then I Mm -hmm. became an adult and I wasn't, you know, shunned for this. But the thing is, I, I actually wrote off a whole number of careers at a young age that I was interested in. I thought I can't be an actor because I'm, uh, have a lisp and I'm also not tall enough, didn't realize actors are short. I thought I couldn't really be a politician because I had a lisp. You know, it was this, sure. this kind of barrier. Yeah. So that was a story that I was carrying around. It became less noticeable to other people or they they thought it was kind of part of my charm or that I did it on purpose. That was kind of a, you know, cynical, funny side that I had to it. Hmm. And then this funny thing happened. So when I was 35, I had a botched root canal and as a result, tooth number three, which is a gigantic molar, hmm. uh, the whole gigantic big ass thing came out. It's huge. It less this huge, you know, crevasse in my mouth, you know, tied up with surgical string and everything. Yeah. And at the very same time, I 
went on this book tour for this novel that I'd written with three other people years ago that was published called The Student Body, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about a prostitution ring at Harvard. Very entertaining. <laughs> Author Jane Harvard. Get it? Uh-uh. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, I was on the book tour, so I had to go around giving these little speeches, and we'd worked so hard to set these up. And meanwhile, I had all these kind of rubber bands and surgical twine in my mouth, and I couldn't say my S's at all on the side, so I had to do them in front. And then within like two weeks, I had cured my lifelong lisp. Wow. Um, but the funny thing is I would still think that I had it in my head. And then once I saw this video of myself doing a, a speech for lawyers, and I was kind of getting ready to cringe as I would observe myself making S sounds. Mm-hmm. And I was friggin' great. Wow. I was awesome. I sounded good. I was kind of handsome, I thought. Um, <laughs> audience liked me. And I thought, okay, I've had like this story my whole life, my whole friggin' life holding me back and that said to some degree what I could or could not do and what was available to me. And finally seeing myself on that that video, I'm like, okay, that's actually not my reality and maybe I can get beyond this story. So I'll stop there because I have more stories, but wanted to see your thoughts on this. Yeah. Well, it's heartwarming as hell to start with. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, the the thought of you having that transformation, waiting for the cringe to come, and then not having it. That's awesome. And you know, for those of us who don't have these transformative moments on video, it's still a really important technique you're highlighting, which is we tend to, in, in the vein of being authentic, hold on to outdated stories about ourselves. Right. Yes, and um, a story. Stories are very powerful. Like we need stories to survive. That's how yeah. we make sense of the world. Mm-hmm. But stories function by having a narrative, and it filters stuff in, and it filters stuff out. Totally. And so they can maintain themselves because we'll get new data. But if it doesn't fit the storyline, we will not hear it or see it without yeah. even being aware that's what's going on. Yeah. The way I think about it is, we oftentimes think of ourselves as characters or subjects in our story and forget that we're actually the authors of our own stories. I so think that's a fantastic um, way of putting it, and you've said it, so I won't elaborate. So let's let's switch over to this other side. So I said there are two parts. One is um, being understanding who we are, self-knowledge, and the other right. is understanding our impact in the workplace. And I think this is where it gets tricky, right? Because... I think the authentic version of you is probably better and more effective and happier. But will people in your workplace respond to that? Or will it fit the particular role that you have? Perhaps there are styles of being authentic that are not conducive to being a leader or manager or sales champion or writer or what have you. Um, And do we need to just acknowledge that and either not be authentic or not be in those roles? Yeah. Coming up with a, a, a silver bullet here is, is it really tough? And my heuristic is that it's rarely, rarely uh, in my advantage or anyone else's advantage to show up as really inauthentic, like actively trying to be somebody that I'm not because these, those things are leaky. Yeah. And most of us can tell, you know, people can tell if you're tap dancing around who you really are and you're showing up massively and authentically and it's going to lose you influence and not going to have a good impact where I see the nuance coming in and the dilemma I hear in the question from our listener is more on not should I be massively and authentic but how much of my authentic self should I actually show and that becomes the more nuanced and and challenging question so I'll add a couple other things to the to the mix the first is to 
distinguish what's normative versus what's allowable. So there are certain careers or jobs where most people seem to be a certain way, either in terms of background or personality type or skill set. So law is a good example of this, okay. or engineering. Um, and they may be the majority culture. But that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody who doesn't have those characteristics is excluded from that culture or not valued. When I was at this big uh, white shoe law firm, Davis Polk, years ago, I thought of myself as quite different. I mean, I liked being there, but I was quirky and kind of creative and talked a lot and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it was only years later after I left that I discovered that people actually valued that. They wanted mm -hmm. me to be that person. They didn't want me to conform to the more, let's say, generic type of corporate lawyer. But I didn't see that. I sort of thought it's either be like the majority or it's uh, not be here. And I think that was a, a false assumption. So I think the first thing you should ask yourself is, am I required to be like everybody else or does my company uh, benefit from a kind of diverse bench where I'm representing a certain type of, of person or a set of skills or a personality type, and that's actually good? And I think that's, that's a really good distinction to keep in mind. And on that front, it's really easy, I think, because of the fear around being different to just assume that, uh, no, I should fall in line. But finding little ways to test that like let those differences be shown with some people you work with, maybe some folks you have a little more trust with and just sort of see what the impact is before just rushing to a fearful conclusion that I need to shut off big parts of myself. Yeah, and I have, I have two more small things. Second thing is think about what your, what your brand is, your professional brand or your personal brand. So that's really what you're known for and think about what kind of brand you wanna have in, in the future. And so the idea is that your brand is a more individual statement of how you're doing a particular job. So let's say you're a general manager with 60 employees. Well, what, what do you want to be known for? Do you want to be the general manager who runs a tight ship? Do you want to be the general manager who creates great learning opportunities? Do you want to be the general manager who enables things to come in you know, on time and under budget? Do you want to be the general manager who has great relationships all across the, the company? different people are going to fill that role differently. And if you get beyond the title and instead think about what your version of things is going to be, I think it's very helpful. Mm. Um, and there's a lot more you can read about brand. Maybe we'll do a full episode uh, later on. And the third thing is to actually de-dramatize this a little bit and think instead of asking, do I belong here or can I be authentic? Ask yourself, are there one or two skills that I could improve that would make me better at this job? Because maybe that's what's holding you back. And that if you added that skill improvement on top of what you have already, you might find it easier to be authentic because you'd be satisfying the job, but allowing the rest of you to come come through. And you could probably make the same analysis of your relationships. Are there one or two relationships that if I improved or added to my mix, it would really help me be better at my job? Nice. I like that framing to like take a little bit of that weight off your shoulders by improving in some areas to make it easier to be you. So yeah. I'm hearing that. Not to take us back into the plunge pool, but I do think this authenticity question can also be really deep and really heavy for, for folks. And I think for a lot of us, it boils down to a, this fundamental question of if I were to let myself be seen, really be seen, would people love and accept me? Or would I be rejected and have the door slammed in my face? That is very heavy. Super heavy. <laughs> Put on your oxygen mask, baby. You scuba, scuba yeah. gear. We're diving yeah. deep. Wow. And, and rather than dive into the depths of that question, I think 
This question is about my sense of worthiness and enoughness. And so these are you know, big, meaty questions. And yet I think our core to this dilemma we feel about, should I be authentic at work? Should I be authentic in this relationship? And so on. And I want to tie that to a bit of homework that, that is a little bit on the deeper side of things. And I think there's this really beautiful TED Talk by a uh, sociologist out of Houston, University of Houston. Her name is Brene Brown. And she's got, it's one of the top 10 TED Talks uh, on TED. And it is called The Power of Vulnerability. My homework for people would be to go look up that talk, The Power of Vulnerability by Brene Brown, watch it and reflect on it and see what comes from that. I'm going to do that myself. Great talking to you, Michael T. Always great talking to you, Michael Melcher. Take care, man. Can't wait for next time.